On this episode of The Playbook, I have Reese Kurtenbach, CEO, President, and Chairman of the Board of Dactronics. And we're gonna talk about what it's like to work for the same company for almost 40 years, and also why it doesn't even pay to watch a game anymore. Join me for all of this and more on The Playbook. This is Entrepreneur's The Playbook where each week I bring you some of the greatest athletes, celebrities, and entrepreneurs to talk about their personal and professional playbook to success and what made them champions on the field and in the boardroom. I'm your host, David Meltzer. I have Reese Kurtenbach, CEO, President, and Chairman of the Board of Dactronics. And, uh, you know, Reese, welcome to the playbook. I'm so excited because... Every technological advancement has occurred in my favorite space, which is the live event space, the space that I was born into from my early career in sports. And I am just amazed on the evolution with AI, virtual experiences, live experiences, what we can do today and the data that's attached to what we do today is so valuable uh, for so many people and the experiences themselves. For you, how did you get started in this business? Where was your interest early on in understanding, you know, how and how and why we get involved in in these types of uh, events? Yeah, and thanks for having us here today, David. It, uh, it's a pleasure to talk about what we do. We love it as well, so that that's awesome. And I um I've been at Dectronics for a long time. I started uh, full time back in '91. So it's a it's a lifetime for some folks, but uh, uh, we we do what uh, we do because we love it. It's uh, big and bright and bold and and out there in front of everyone. And you asked me about my history when we started. Dectronics only did incandescent light bulbs uh, and some reflective, and then the LED we did was um, red amber. It was it was pretty limited because the technology was limited. But we were fortunate that in the mid 90s, the blue and the green LEDs and then uh, advancements in other areas of technology allowed us to do video uh, in these sports arenas. And you might remember the Sony Jumbotron and some of these, they were a, a, the early days of video in stadiums was a completely different technology it was based on you know, what we had in our homes at the time, these uh, deep, heavy CRT tubes and as the uh, the LED technology kept advancing, uh, we were able to do more with with less power and less money. And so the size of the screens grew. And then they started to put them everywhere within uh, within a facility, in the bowl, and increasingly outside of the bowl, in old clubs and lounges and all of that. And as you said, you've grown up in sports. The experience that you had in a stadium that was built in the 90s or the 80s was completely different. The, um, you know, fan amenities was almost uh, not a thing then. If you could get a box of popcorn and maybe a beer, then that's probably all that they had going for you. And of course, the whole game day experience has changed in the last 20 years. And it really has. And in fact, you know, I've gone to some national championship, you know, Super Bowls, did some great games. And I was almost disappointed uh, because, you know, my tickets are worth so much and I'm sitting 50 yard line and half the time I'm thinking, I'm looking at the screen. I could have been at home. <laughs> I could have sold these tickets. And, uh, you know, it's, it's 
better above me than it is right in front of me. And my eyes are drawn to the technologies uh, that you've utilized. One of the other interesting things, you know, you're from South Dakota, you went to school in mm -hmm. South Dakota, not known for its technological advancements. You know, it's not Sand Hill Road or the Silicon Valley. Uh, although football wise, I think uh, they hold their own uh, by far, yeah. especially yeah. quarterback wise, and the, you know, the, the loyalty towards it. But I mean, you were a student employee at Dactronics. You, you've been there since the early 80s. Uh, and you've stayed with not only the same company, but the evolution all the way to be the CEO and chairman of this company here. That's probably the rarest thing that I've seen on the playbook. Uh, you know, it, it was very common in the old days, uh, but nowadays when someone has that type of success from a, a smaller town, they usually find some way to leave and yet you stuck with it and what do you attribute to the fact that you've been able to, I'm doing the math in my head, is almost 40 years uh, in a technology company uh, to stay with the same company from student into chairman? Yeah, it, um, you know, it's um, in, in South Dakota, and I think many small communities have this, you have uh, ties inside of work and outside of work. And you know, maybe with COVID and all the remote work, uh, um, things begin to change. But really, we, ha we have deep roots within South Dakota. We have tight ties with the local university. Our, our two founders came from the local university and, and, and founded Dectronics 50 some years ago. And as we got bigger, we, uh, we did grow outside the community. So Brookings is one community we're in. Sioux Falls is another that's uh, close by. Redwood Falls, we've opened manufacturing in those different areas. We started to expand throughout the U.S., placing sales and service people with, within different parts of the U.S. And as we started to go more international, as we explored that in the, the mid-aughts, we started to, that same model. We placed people in a country or in a continent on a sales and service role, and we just grew with that. So even though I've been with this uh, same company, every few years, what we're doing and what my uh, what I'm doing personally changes. So it seems like I've been constantly doing different things. I started as a engineer, project manager. I started to then manage an engineering team, this team that developed our our full color video sorts of displays ran uh, certain parts of the business before uh, our previous CEO, Jim Morgan, retired in 2013. And so that was, you know, kind of my personal story. But it's not unusual within Dectronics. There's many people at Dectronics that have a, a long tenure compared to certainly technology companies. But even to me, I'm not the oldest or the longest tenured employee there. And so it's it sounds interesting or it sounds unusual, but in our uh, organization, it's relatively common. And within that context of you know people staying there a long time, it usually means there's a you know strict sense of at least corporate culture and company values. How has the company values evolved? You know, from a small you know LED company in the '80s and '90s, you know, to kind of more of an engineering and display company to a worldwide company now. 
uh, how have the values and culture changed? Even though you're a small town company, you're a pretty big company and you hire people all around the world. Uh, so how have the values changed and evolved uh, since you first started as a student? Yeah, um, I think it's, it's relatively portable across countries and culture. Uh, my father was one of the co-founders, Al Kurtenbach, and his, uh, the values that, that he started with was, uh, you know, honesty, helpfulness, and uh, humility that uh, um, let's not be um, too big to go and help our, our friends and, and coworkers through the organization. Let's try to be visible and transparent and, and minimize the, oh, the, oh, Friction sometimes happen when you have people, they might talk about politics and political sources, situ uh, perspectives. So how can we minimize that through our, our core, core values? And as we've gone to different parts of the world and, and brought on employees and in Europe and Asia and the Middle East and, and elsewhere, those things, those things translate and, and work well across all of that. So I think it's, um, you know, we have a respect for the people that work for Dectronics. We have a good set of core values. And then we try to live those and promote those throughout the organization. And one of those values, you know, especially in the forefront during COVID is prioritizing safety. And yeah. it seems to be uh, throughout your culture and history, you know, very important in a prioritization for the company. Um, how has that changed too, especially with COVID and the international aspect of, you know, a couple thousand employees or more that you have, um, how have you been able to, you know, prioritize safety, but yet I think have your best year ever in increased growth uh, at Dactronics while you're still making sure everybody's safe? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a hard year. I don't, um, maybe one pandemic's enough in my career, but we'll see. In your lifetime, forget your yeah, career. Yeah, yeah. yeah, It's yeah, enough in my life. lifetime and I'm gonna live a long time. So <laughs> let's keep us all safe. <laughs> um, and it was a hard year for us. We did uh, retract, uh, had a, uh, our revenue and orders went down for the year, but we think that with the vaccinations and how they're um, being distributed, that the, the future's bright. But the, um, but the early days of the pandemic, you're right, nobody knew. It came at all of us fast. You had to um, react and make decisions. So our management team was meeting weekly um, before the pandemic. We started to meet daily as what, what was happening became uh, apparent. And we would have things that would spring up. You might remember the, the UK was one of the earlier uh, hotspots. And we had people in Ireland. We have a factory running in Ireland. Uh, we have a factory and a whole team that's in Shanghai, China, and that was early days there as well. Um, and each one we learned and uh, as we reacted and tried different things. And so by the time we got to, to the U.S. and our factories, we basically sent, if you could work from home, you, you worked from home. If you worked in a factory, we had um, followed the CDC guidelines and the uh, the other advice that was out there, uh, safety precautions, grouped people into smaller pods, made sure that we did contact tracing. And then we took those same sorts of procedures out into the field when uh, you know 
business was still happening. So we had people showing up at customer sites, working with them and um, masks, uh, cleaning. I think we all learned the value of lotion as our hands dried out with all of this, you know, alcohol stuff. And so you kind of learned all of that stuff uh, during this and, and then uh, uh, reinforcing it and, and, uh, just uh, letting people know that it's about safety first. And if you have a concern, bring that up and let's talk about it and let's figure it out. Don't just, I guess I don't know, I'm supposed to do this and dive in without without thinking first. And we've been, um, you know, within Dectronics, our walls, we've been uh, relatively free from any sort of transmission. We have people that uh, did test positive, they would quarantine and then come back uh, like many of us had but uh, no, no real incidents where we did a lot of transmission within the facility. So we, we think we feel fortunate that we went through it uh, in the way we were. Yeah. And you'll benefit in the long term. And speaking of long-term vision, I always say that time itself has its own reciprocity of situational knowledge. So those people that have been, you know, at a company for 40 years have a greater capability of having a 40 year of vision uh, than the millennial that's been there four months trying to tell you the, 40 year vision, uh, I believe there is an equated reciprocity between the type of long-term experience in an industry and the vision that we can have. Uh, for you, you know, you probably have had the most experience in this industry of anyone that I've known, except for the other people that have worked there longer than you, but I don't know them. I was wondering what your long-term vision is uh, utilizing uh, my philosophy of reciprocity of time and knowledge uh, in that space. Because if somebody would have told me that there'd be a display that was worth more than the stadium that I grew up in, I would have said, come on, that's impossible. But yet we see it all the time. Displays are more expensive than entire stadiums were, you know, 30 years ago. Uh, that vision is one in which you can see better than I can a long-term uh, technological and business uh, opportunity that we may not be aware of. Wh where do you see the industry going long term? Yeah, the you know, of course, there's sports, and then there's uh, really we call it commercial on-premise or third-party advertising, and then we have our our transportation business, and uh, there's others that are coming up because I think the the future is um, static imaging and static displays are going to be less and less popular, and that things that move and interact and change are going to become more expected by, by whoever it might be. You know, there's the, uh, as you're talking about this generational difference, I, um, you know, I, I respect that the, the people born in the nineties and the, and the two thousands, the odds had a different experience than maybe myself in the sixties or seventies or fifties, whatever it is. On the other hand, I think since the, you know, the dawn of humankind, the older generations looked at the younger generation and said, geez, I don't know if they know what they're doing. We, we might be doomed as a, as a race, right? So I, I think both of those things are at play and how do you balance all that out? But, uh, but I think we're going to see increasingly digital everywhere. Uh, if you look at what uh, you described in the stadium, it's reflected in my um, living room. My TV, when I graduated college, I think I had a 19-inch color TV that, you know, was huge and heavy. It was a council. Remember those things that would spin? I remember. <laughs> yeah. 
And now I've got a nice uh, OLED TV, um, I suppose 60, 65 inch. And that's what we're used to at home. And so we expect something similar when we go to a, a stadium. And I tell you, the professional stadiums that we were talking about early on in this conversation, you're getting that at the high school level now. Those stadiums are probably what uh, what as nice as what we experienced at a professional level. Maybe not quite the capacity, but uh, everything else is as nice. And of course, the 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 new stadiums going up are works of art. I mean, architecturally and and all of the systems that they're putting in there to engage the fan. The fan experience is is engineered now. We you could talk from the street to the seats, but as they get ready to come to the uh, their game, game day, they get, they're getting excited. Every step of the way should reinforce that excitement and, and get them uh, um, hyped up for the game. And at the same time, make it easier. Where am I supposed to go? What's happening? And, and so what, the, what a modern or a, a high-tech uh, team is able to do today is really build in this innate emotional part of, I think it's the human human need. We want to be with others. I don't know about you, but I, I missed people as we went through this pandemic. I, I've done a lot of this screen time and it's good. It's better than, than you know just talking on the phone, but it's not the same as being with people and in person. So you talked about being at the game and, and watching it, maybe watching the screens. That, that's the way it's supposed to be. It's supportive of what's happening on the field. But um, but it doesn't replace sitting in your living room, maybe texting your buddies about, oh, did you see that play? It, that's still fun. It still happens. But it, it's not the same as that in-game experience. And so I think we're going to continue to see people go to events. Um, we want to be around others. We want to see these types of things. And that um, and uh, digital displays are there to support it. And, and they're, they're, you're going to see even more of them more places, bigger, higher res, uh, all kinds of cool things. Yeah, there's better screens in the bathrooms in some of these stadiums than it used to be out on the field. And uh, that connectivity during the game, and you and I are both old enough to remember not wanting to get something to eat, not wanting to go to the bathroom because we don't want to miss uh, any yeah, of the game. Yeah, and now that's yeah. not an issue at all as well. Um, now, you know, topping over half a billion dollars in sales, what is your focus uh, moving forward uh, for the next few years? Yeah, we, we certainly have a lot of really good core markets, the sports business, a lot of live events business, a lot of out-of-home advertising, a lot of on-premise work. And we're we're continuing to invest in that business. But this uh, there's new technologies that, that fit into this old big category called narrow pixel pitch. So these big stadiums, the distance from one grouping of LEDs to another was maybe 20 millimeters or 25 millimeters, an inch or two. And now they're, um, these narrow pixel pitches are me measured at two millimeters and below. So like a tenth of an inch is the distance between. And so within a relatively small screen, you can get HD resolutions and it's bold and it's bright. And we can scale these up to be any size. So you're seeing these not only in the clubs and lounges around a sports stadium, you're seeing these uh, in uh, lobbies, corporate lobbies, you're seeing them in meeting rooms, uh, large auditoriums, hanging, you know, if you go to 
Remember when we went to the airport, hanging from the ceiling and showing advertising within airports? This stuff is going to be everywhere because it, it's it's lightweight, it's bright, it's high quality, high image quality, and it's um, um it's cool. So I think we're going to continue to see more and more of that, and so you'll see us spread outside some of these core markets into some of these other areas where where the technology advancements are really uh, um, leveraging us into these new sorts of applications. Yeah, and you're doing a tremendous job. And in the media world, we call your business the amplification business. You take that content that's captured and amplify it in the best experience possible. And sometimes, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Dactronics makes the experience too good. You don't even watch the real thing because it's so good. So I certainly appreciate what you're doing in home, out of home, streets, the seats, uh, everywhere we know where the digital uh, movement is is going. And uh, it looks bright, of course, no pun intended, uh, for Reese Curtinbach, CEO, President and Chairman of the Board of Dactronics. Thank you so much for giving your long history and playbooks to success. I think you may be in the Hall of Fame for the longest tenure today at a, at a company, at least from a small city. So thank you so much for being so dedicated, not just to your company, uh, but of course your community. I know you've made a great difference in that community and all communities now around the world. So we appreciate you. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Playbook as much as me. On a personal note, I just wanted to thank everyone for making The Playbook such a success. Don't forget to continue it by sharing, subscribing, and listening to your favorite episodes. This is Dave Meltzer with The Playbook.